Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of the podcast. I am Pam Barnhill, your host, and I am so happy that you're joining me today. So I want to tell you guys about something fun and new I'm doing. Have you heard of Periscope? This is really great. It's an app. It's an app for your smartphone, but it's also a web app. So you can watch this on your computer. Or if you have an iOS or Android device, you can also watch it there. But the app allows you to live stream video. So it's kind of like a podcaster's dream. (laughs) More people to talk to. So what I've been doing every afternoon, Monday through Friday, about 3.15 to 4 o'clock, I try to hit that window right there, is I've been doing the Homeschool Snapshot Show. Now, not to be compared with the Homeschool Snapshots podcast, which will always stay just like it is, but the Homeschool Snapshot Show comes on every afternoon, and there we chat about different homeschooling topics. And I love to throw out questions and ask my audience questions, just like I ask my audience guest questions here on the podcast. So it's really a lot of fun. If you're on Periscope, I'd love for you guys to come and check me out and watch the show. We've got a great little community that we're building there. A lot of the same ladies come back and we just have fun chatting because you're watching me on video, but you can chat. You can send me little chat text messages on your phone and I get to respond back to you. So I'm just loving it. But um, you can find it at Periscope dot tv forward slash ed snapshots and that's how you would find me and we'll stick a link to that in the show notes so i'd love to see you over there and today i am getting to talk to miss heather woody again i've already interviewed heather once for the homeschooling method series i did last spring and we talked about unit studies i'll link to that in the show notes so you could listen to that if you really enjoy heather's interview today and i think you're going to Okay, so that's enough chit-chat. Let's get on with this podcast. Heather Woody is a mom of four who's been homeschooling for over 10 years. She uses unit studies and projects to tap into her students' interests and their passions. Her website, blogsherote.org, has a wealth of information and tons of ideas about history, science, geography, current events, homeschooling high school, great books to read, and so much more. Heather, it's so nice to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Well, I wanted to get started by having you tell me a little bit about your family. Well, we do have four kids, the oldest of whom is 16, and he's going to be entering 12th grade this year. Our daughter is 15, and she is going to be a sophomore this year. I have a 13-year-old who will be in eighth grade and a 10-year-old who will be in fifth grade. And those two last two are boys. Well, how did you guys get started homeschooling? We moved to New York in the winter of 2000. And my husband took a job up here. And we, our kids were really young. I was pregnant with my second. And I had a toddler. He was about 18 months old. And So we thought, oh, you know, we won't be here when it's time for him to go to school. And we had settled in an area where the school might have, you know, not had a great 
academic excellent record. And so we thought, uh, you know, even if we're here, you can't mess up kindergarten. We'll be fine. And when Ethan started kindergarten, he went there for a year. He finished a full year of public school kindergarten. And it just became clear that he couldn't be challenged enough there. He could read already. And they worked with us. And he went to first grade for part of the day and back to kindergarten in the afternoon. But then when it came time to do first grade, we thought, great, you know, first grade teachers already know him. And we'll be able to just pick up where we left off. I should say that, you know, my husband and I were public school educated and I was a public school educator. And at that time, I uh, really thought, you know, we can do this. We can make this work. About halfway, not even halfway through first grade, I really realized it really doesn't work when you have kids that need more challenges and the resources are going elsewhere. And uh, so we pulled him out halfway through first grade and we've been homeschooling ever since. Oh, wow. So you weren't working at the time. You were staying home with your little ones when you pulled him out. Yes. Okay. I was at home. And um, yeah, you know, we had one in preschool and um, we let her finish out that year. But we started homeschooling and our whole job at the time was just to get him to enjoy learning again, because he was complying with all the classroom rules and had really lost interest in being curious, because he was, you know, done out at the end of the day. You know, it's funny talking to homeschooling moms for the podcast and just in general, I hear so many times that a lot of the reasons why families start homeschooling is because they got they have kids at one end of the spectrum or the other, either kids who are falling behind or mm-hmm. kids who are rushing ahead. And it seems like the classroom just doesn't work for kids on either end. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a common refrain that I'm starting to hear. Well, are you ready for a multiple choice question? Yes. Your homeschool day is most like which literary classic? Would it be A, Persuasion, B, Plato's Dialogues, C, War of the Worlds, or D, Shakespeare's Comedy of Errors? (laughs) Probably D some days. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that if you came to our homeschool, you wouldn't necessarily think it would not look very conventional to you. (laughs) So it's just a little bit different. Yes. Well, what's your favorite subject to teach, Heather? Well, that's a good question. So I'm partial to science because I am a science educator. That's my area of certification. And so, but our science programs just don't look very traditional at all. Because if my kids have a question where I just say, well, let's get up and find out. And there's not a lot of, you know, making sure we have the textbook and everything we need. We just say, well, let's figure that out. And that's how we teach science. And so that's one of my favorite things. And one of the things I enjoy a lot as my kids have been getting older is literature because I get to read it and become familiar with it with my children. And then it opens up really wonderful discussions about worldview and just about anything else that comes out of a book. And it gives me one-on-one time with my kids to help shape their thinking and who they are. Was that something that as a, you were a secondary science teacher, correct? Yes, I am. (laughs) So as a secondary science teacher, is it kind of surprising to you that you're enjoying literature as much as you are? A little bit, although I would say I probably missed my calling. If I had done something else, my life probably would have been a lot easier. But my interest in science is very strong. (laughs) Well, what subject do you find the most difficult to teach in your homeschool? Fine arts, particularly music. Are you musically talented at all? Do you play an instrument or? How no, you- my husband and I are both people who had a lot of music instruction as children mm-hmm. and really do not carry much of that with us now. My husband does sing 
He's a tenor in uh, church choir and very talented, but when neither one of us reads music fluently. Right. So is that something that you've outsourced in your homeschool? To be honest, we have outsourced. Music is one of those things. um, If our kids show a keen interest in it, then we give them the materials and the time to sort of figure out how much they're willing to pour into it. So I know that that's not uh, an agreeable philosophy for everyone, but uh, music is not mandatory at our house. No. Right. And we totally outsource it. I mean, mm-hmm. I I guess I can read music some. <laughs> I've forgotten a lot over <laughs> yeah. the years. But yeah, it's not something I'm going to try to teach. So it's something we outsource here. What book do you think is a must read for your children before they leave home? You know, I like them to be literate in the Bible. That's one of them. And other than that, any book, Fahrenheit 451. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, my book club read that one not too long ago. And that's a really good one. It is. What do you like about that one? Well, I think it's a it's a thinking book. I'm not really a fan of dystopian literature in general, not really a fan of science fiction. That book speaks to me because it talks about, you know, banks of knowledge and what happens when people stop thinking on their own. And right. it's, you know, kind of a hallmark of probably our parenting and our homeschool is creating independent children, you know. Right. My husband and I are fairly fiercely independent people. And we raise our kids to be independent as well. So I think that's why the book speaks to me. Does your family have any special homeschool traditions that you have maybe a way to celebrate the first day of school or something else that you like to do? Yeah, we like to celebrate the beginning and the end of school by, you know, usually taking kids out for ice cream or just acknowledging that milestone has been completed When my kids were younger, we used to row a certain book when we were using five in a row all the time. We always started with Night of the Moon Jellies, and we usually did it sometime in the summer. And that was a tradition for us for a long time. And even now, we still pull it out and read it. It just kind of marks the beginning of things for us. And we even have a poster of a book poster of Night of the Moon Jellies in our schoolroom. Oh, that's an awesome tradition. So you've been doing that for a number of years now. Yeah, probably since our 16-year-old was seven. Oh, wow. So a very long time. I'm sure it's something they look forward to each and every year, the hallmark of back to school. Yeah. Do you have a favorite memory, some kind of aha moment when you were working with one of your children or with all of your children where you just kind of came to a realization about how homeschooling was a good fit for you? I would say after we brought our first grader home, one of the best things, that was probably one of the most fun semesters we ever had homeschooling was when we first brought him home and we had just a few things in mind that we wanted to do and things just really started clicking and he relaxed and kind of got back to the business of being a curious boy. And that was really exciting to see. And I think now that my children are older, I would say just watching them pursue their niche and having the time to do that is very rewarding. And, you know, obviously when they test and they do things they're supposed to do and you know they're learning because they can prove it, that's always nice too. Well, let's talk a little bit about your teens and you mentioned them finding their niche. And I know that as your children were growing up, you were really big, you mentioned five in a row. So you were really big into using unit studies to teach your children. But as they've crossed over into the teen years, you've started doing more uh, project-based learning with them. So let's talk a little bit about project-based learning. How did you get started doing that and kind of make the transition from unit studies into using that project-based learning with your teens? Well, I think it came out of the fact that my, definitely my second oldest, our daughter, 
is a much more creative learner. She's a very kinesthetic learner. She learns with her hands. She's always got her hands busy with something. If she's still, you know, she's not taking in whatever it is you're trying to tell her. And so I wouldn't say she's without focus. She just needs to move a little bit, just occupy her hands. And so when we were using more traditional forms, even for math early on, it just wasn't, there wasn't a spark there that it was getting to be a little bit grueling. So I think we hopped into project-based learning when when we, I needed to use a different avenue with her that reading and writing about what she read wasn't really going to do it. Whereas my oldest, that's his thing that I needed to make a change. And so I gravitated towards that because she always had projects going. And then as we did more and more of it, it's not just about the project as much as it is about how you can extend learning and be in charge of your work. And I think that's been sort of what we're looking at. So it needs to be authentic work too, not just a contrived situation, you know, like make an Iroquois longhouse, you know, those are projects, but not the kind that I'm talking about. If you're not familiar with project-based learning by Lori Pickert, she has a real fascinating approach to education. And that's kind of I think the way to put a name to what we have been doing for a long time. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, I just wanted to clarify for the listeners. When we're talking about project-based learning, we're not talking about like building a trifold board where you cut out pictures out of magazines and put them up there to illustrate something. And, oh, I've I've done my project. So could you give us an example of a few of the projects that your kids have done? Sure. All of my kids have done a project here and there. Some are really good at driving their own work. Some aren't. One of the ones that my daughter did, which is on my blog, it's called The Snake Project. And she has a wild caught snake and uh, wanted to learn more about it. And for that year, she was in eighth grade. I chose her life science to just be a snake project. And so she studied everything that she could about snakes. And along the way, then she learned general biology, things like cells and cell theory and the way tissues connect to make organs and so on. But she did that all through the lens of caring for her snake and learning more about her snake. In the beginning half of the year, she was learning anatomy and physiology of her snake and she contacted experts. So um, we live in close proximity to a well-known veterinary school and we're friends with professors and students there. So she reached out to get expert advice and also books and things like that from the vet school library that would help her to learn even more. And so she did that. It was a great project. She did lots of diagrams. She learned, she read and read and read about brumating her snake. So snakes, reptiles, brumate rather than hibernate. And she did the research on that to figure out, do I have to have the money to feed my snake through the winter or can I brumate him in our basement? So she had, she tested the temperature. She kept a log of the varying temperature in our basement to make sure that it wouldn't go below a certain amount or above a certain amount. Cause if they wake up, then you got to feed them. Right. They'll get hungry. And she feeds the snake salamanders and worms. So when they're not available, she has to, she has to go a different route, either trying to get the snake to brumate or to stock the freezer with their food. So that was a thing that she was working on. And she actually learned all kinds of, scientific concepts based on her desire to care for her snake. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it was a whole year of snake awesomeness. And my job in that was just to 
kind of mentor her through that. And when she would slow down and it seemed like she wasn't tackling things, I would remind her of some of the questions that she had so that she could continue on the way. Okay. So this project was based off of questions that she had generated for herself about Mm -hmm. raising and caring for the snake. And then she went out and searched for the answers to those questions. Yes. And so other than the care of the snake and keeping him alive and things like that, did she produce anything else to go with this project or was that the total? She had a whole notebook. Yeah. She had a whole notebook where she was diagramming and learning and writing vocabulary. And, you know, there were certain requirements that we had to hit. It wasn't a free for all, but it was largely driven by her curiosity and what she wanted to know. And we brainstormed as many things that as she could think of that she would want to investigate that would also touch on a little bit of a scope and sequence of a traditional biology class. And so she has a whole notebook full of notes and interviews and all kinds of information. And is she pretty self-directed in a project like this? Is she one of your self-directed ones? Yes, she's a real easygoing person with that. She likes the independence of being able to go on her own and not wait for me or for others before they're ready. So she takes a lot of initiative, which is good because I have kids who are not as internally motivated as others. And do you find that project-based learning works as well for those kids or is it more of a struggle when they're not as self-motivated? I think with a kid who's not self-motivated as typical behavior, you have to find the thing that is motivating to them and then they can pull it out for that. So our oldest is more of a binge learner. He will want to know something and work on something and he'll do that until it runs out. And then it might be a little bit before he's ready to take on something else again. And in the in-between time, then we fill the time with more conventional sorts of learning. So you kind of go back and forth between the two if you need to. Yes. And so I'm hearing you say that your teens choose their own projects that they're going to work on. Yeah, I think that's the best way to go because it needs to be authentic to them. I can and have done, you know, I can spark some curiosity and give ideas and sometimes those take off and sometimes they don't. But usually the projects that they have initiated are the ones that go the best. Right. Well, how do you reconcile their projects to building a transcript? for your high schoolers? The way to do it is to name the course what it is. So if the snake project had occurred during high school and I was to give a high school credit for that, it would have been biology one. And so, and you know, what did you use for that? Well, you can name all the resources and things that were used to put that course together and you'll be a part of the process. So they're checking in with you regularly and you are, when your kids are working independently on a project, it's not like you completely disappear. So one thing I do is, you know, check in with them daily to see where they are, where they're going, anything they're having trouble with, anything I can help them with, any resources they have chosen that we need to pick up. And so you're constantly pinging and seeing where they are and making sure that they're making forward progress. And it's easy to write a course description based on those things. Would one project necessarily be equal to one course or would you... Or have you guys experienced projects where it might cover more than one course credit? I have. Rebecca works on fashion and history, and that's been something that carries over year to year. And so I take care of that in two ways. It's kind of part of her history. Whatever time period we're in, 
she will research as much primary source information as she can find on the fashion of the day. And sometimes there's conflicting stories and she finds out the authentic fabric that would have been worn. So when she made a kind of like a peasant outfit for the Middle Ages, she worked with wool, which was really a little bit difficult for her, especially for her first machine, which wasn't is not as robust when it comes to bulky fabric. But so she kind of works with that and that's history. But then I've also named a course that is called Sewing and Design, and that goes across all four years of high school. Okay, so she's getting credit for multiple classes from the one project. Right. And that's a project that's kind of interspersed among you know, her regular work. It's kind of an area of focus. Well, you mentioned Lori Pickert. If there's somebody listening to this podcast and they're just really interested in this idea of project-based learning, what are some of your favorite resources for finding out more information? Well, Lori's website is a really good one. And I think it's called Camp Creek or Project-Based Learning mm-hmm. or Project-Based Homeschooling. I'm sorry, is the name of her book and blog. And she has a lot of information on there uh, just about how to get started and almost anything. And I think it's really inspiring just to read stories of what others are doing. Right. And we can include a link to that in the show notes as well. It sounds like you have a lot of great homeschool days at your house, but do you have a backup plan, some kind of go-to for when your homeschool plans kind of fall through and you have a bad day? Yeah, it's called reading aloud. And even now with you know, two high schoolers, a middle schooler, and one last elementary student. If there's one thing that soothes the soul in our home, it's always the read aloud. So if if things are going wrong and, you know, nobody seems to be able to get on the right foot or, or whatever for the day, then I just scrap it. And ever since they were little, we just gather in and we read for a while. And there's really nothing better for just calming the household than reading a good story together. Well, even at your kids' ages, do you still have a read aloud going constantly? Yes, we do. We just don't always get to it. (laughs) We've been in Peter Duck, part of the Swallows and Amazon series for a really long time, but we are pretty determined. So, And I also read aloud. Now you get to a point and other moms who have older kids will probably remember, probably identify with this. My older three kids are only three and a half years apart and we read constantly. And now we've got Joshua, who's just three years younger than his next older sibling, but he was a baby when we read a lot of those things. And now we're, you know, I came to the realization one day that he hadn't heard all these stories that the other kids have really loved. And so we're revisiting them, he and I together. And the older kids listen in when they like to do that. Well, do you have a homeschool hero, somebody you really look up to as a homeschooling mom? I do. Jane Lambert, who wrote Five in a Row, is one of my homeschool heroes. How has she inspired you? She's just really great at reminding people of what's really important when it comes to homeschooling. And I think that you can get kind of lost in information overload along with, you know, homeschoolers are just a generally insecure lot. I find there are lots of things that can sort of make bumps in the road for us. And we wonder whether it's enough or if we're doing the right thing. And I think Jane has just a special way of reminding everybody to slow down and do what's important. That's great. We enjoyed five in a row here at our house for a couple of years too. And it's just a really well put together, wonderful curriculum. I think it's a great resource for homeschool moms. What are your three favorite tools in your homeschool toolbox? Well, I have several 
tools that I really like. The Kindle has got to be one of the best tools that we've brought into our home in the last several years. All of our kids have a Kindle Fire and it's a great economical way to get into the tablet world if you don't have the funds for an iPad. And it makes research so much easier. Our kids don't have to fight over a desktop. And my older kids read their textbook. Their science textbooks are on their Kindle. And if you have somebody who needs a story, a short story or whatever, 30 seconds later, they've got something new to read and they've gone off to do it. And um, tutorials, you just name it. It makes everything really easy. So that's one of my favorites right now. And a lot of those books and stories you can find for free on your Kindle Absolutely. as well. Yeah. And many of the other books are less than the library fine you're going to pay when you <laughs> figure out that you should have turned that book in a week ago. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what else? I would say a good library is my second favorite tool. Not the public library, <laughs> your homeschool library. I believe it's a great idea to have a, a, a really print rich environment in your home. And I rotate our books, even though my kids are older now, I always leave something out that I know somebody will pick up and read. And it works like a charm every time, even with 15 and 16 year olds. So I just encourage everybody to take the time, get yourselves a lot of bookshelves and just surround yourself with good books. And the last tool, let me think here, notebook paper for sure. Yes, that's right. You have some secret ninja notebook paper tricks. (laughs) Yes. I do. I love the power of the plain page of notebook paper because it's so versatile (laughs) and it's cheap and readily available. Do you have some posts on your blog about how you use your plain notebook paper that I could link to? Yes, I do. We will. (laughs) I have a a series of, uh, you know, hopscotch 10 day series all about using notebook paper. Awesome. So that's at least 10 ideas. (laughs) 10 different ideas for using plain notebook paper from Heather Woody. Yes, yes, definitely. All right, Heather, are you ready for a pop quiz? I am, I think. I hope I pass. (laughs) I'm sure you will. All right, chocolate or vanilla? Oh, easy, vanilla. Pen or pencil? I think it depends, but I'll go with pen. Talker or listener? Talker. Fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Cat person or dog person? Dog. Lord of the Rings or Star Wars? Lord of the Rings. Ocean or mountains? Mountains. Essay or project? Hmm. Harder. Project. I was wondering where you were going to come down on that one. (laughs) Heather, thank you so much for joining me today. You are welcome. And there you have it, episode 19 of the podcast. Now, I was remiss in asking Heather where we could find her online. So I did want to point out that you can find her at blogsherote.org. There you can find information about the Snake Project and Heather's blank notebook page posts. And we've also got links to those for you in the show notes, which you can find at edsnapshots.com forward slash 19. And hey, thanks to all of you guys who have been leaving ratings and reviews in iTunes. We really appreciate those. They mean a lot to us. So if you would like to do that as well, you can find instructions on how to do that in the show notes. I hope the rest of your day is a good one. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another Homeschool Mom interview. And until then, keep on homeschooling. Homeschooling.